Welcome to Lance with the Rest of Us, episode 237. My name is Door to Door Geek, uh, owner-operator of uh, podnuts.com. Uh, this episode is brought to you by uh, Andre C. To um, uh, Thank you very much for your pay- patronage. And if you want to continue to hear this show uh, and all Podnuts shows with completely uh, ads taken out, all you have to do is go to uh, patreon.com slash podnuts, and you too can help support the cause of ad-free. Uh, I'm, I am... Uh, I'm uh, joined, as always, by Bruce. How's everything going, I'll man? tell you, Dor, struggling right out of the gate today. <laughs> it seems like one thing after another, and this has been some kind of couple of weeks, I'll tell you that. Yeah, n- n- not to mention this is the like sickest time of the year, it seems, for everybody I know, uh, and the time when there's the most, uh, let's just say, heartache uh, this time of year. It also seems to be the time of year where I also have my most amount of technical issues. Well, you know, to to pile on there, um, we got a diagnosis on my uh, dog the other day that she's got cancer of the spleen. So we're now on the clock with this one. I can't believe it. The animals are taking a beating in this house. Well, yeah, and I and I will say that is one place I know Canada has better options than the United States, and that is pet healthcare up in Canduadia. Uh, I keep being told by people who, who live up there, their pets receive as good uh, health care as they get, which I know down here in the U.S., uh, everything pet-related costs uh, what seems like a fortune. Yeah, not so surprising here. Yeah, but we certainly have a lot of tech stuff that we can uh, actually go over this week. There's a lot of interesting stories that have come across, too, as well. So, um. Yeah, I guess we can just cer- certainly jump right into it. Uh, would you rather do emails first? I I say let's do emails first. Emails first. It is. I'll lead. <laughs> Let me see. We had plenty that actually came up this week. So among them, uh, first one comes from Brad regarding Open ZFS, Oracle ZFS, and uh, Linus or Linus, depending on how you want to go that route. Uh, so. Hey, Doran Bruce, we got asked a couple of us who uses uh, um, ZFS in our opinions on an article about Linus saying don't use ZFS. Um, actually, interestingly enough, I'm not sure if that was actually what he said. I think he, he, the real response there was that he wasn't he didn't recommend using it until uh, Larry from Oracle decided to, uh, you know, um, a drop or at least get in writing that it was okay to work with that file system. But anyway, uh, let's see. So first of all, ZOL and ZOF and all the other ZFs, uh, Microsoft apparently is coming out with a port and OSX has one. Um, and they are using open ZFS, which is not the same as Oracle ZFS. They took the open, uh, last open source Sun version and forked that. Oracle has since closed their uh, ZFS implementation. So the code in Oracle ZFS has diverged from the code of OpenZFS. And what's more, OpenZFS has many of the original Sun developers who invented ZFS for Sun, such as Matt Ahrens working on the project. Uh, secondly, OpenZFS is under the Sun CDDL license, which is an open source license. The GPL doesn't play nicely with it uh, in the same manner as they don't play nicely with the BSDs or MIT or Apache. Because GPL, especially version 3, is a vendor lock-in um, uh, as the best MS or Apple license, or I should say APL license, uh, or Oracle for that matter. So not being a lawyer, I have to ask if a litigious Larry can sue a project like Linux or FreeBSD for using an open source project, which OpenZFS is. Um, let's see, what I would ideally like to see is for someone to put together OpenZFS Foundation. That should be an umbrella organization that could protect anyone from lawsuits. Again, not a lawyer. Also, regarding shared resource clusters, the concept has been around since the late 90s, and I remember in 98 and 99, Mosaic clusters were available. Basically, you had kernel modules that would run on all of your local machines and donate their spare cycles to anyone with extra load needing more computing power. Um, SETI at home and folding at home have been around for that length of time as well. That's a lot. <laughs> That is a, first off, I don't think there's ever been an email with as many ZFSs in it as we, as we, as we've seen 
right there. I'm pretty sure Brad set a record. Well, also, you know, there's an old acting uh, adage of red leather, yellow leather. Well, well, that's our Linux version of it. Uh, the short of it is that I think anything that uh, the Oracle lawyers can go after, um, they leave nothing to chance. They could easily sue uh, Linux. Uh, the lawyers get paid lots of money and they're good at what they do and they didn't make that money on chump change alone so uh i think that really all linus is trying to avoid our lawsuits and uh until he can get larry to sign off on the use of zfs you know why take that chance um they've got some other file uh developers i mean who who can say that what the next generation of ext5 will look like should they you know uh enroll that in because you know, like anything else, what makes a file system appealing in this case is the ability to back up and take snapshots. So uh, I'm sure down the road that's being actively worked on. But I guess we'd actually have to ask, what's his name, Ted Cho, about that? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. My whole thing is, first, I'll say, who needs ZFS? And the answer is nobody needs it. Some people might want it, but nobody needs it. And because nobody needs it, there's no reason to even start to even introduce any opportunity to have any Oracle lawyers do anything is the logic. Um, My, you know, it's like saying, well, you know, you can dance with the snake if you do it right. Well, how about we don't dance with the snake at all? Just leave ZFS completely out. Nobody needs it. It does nothing spectacularly different that you can't do with other pieces of software or hardware or solutions kind of thing. Um, yeah. And, you know, and not to mention, you really can't get any use out of ZFS unless you have beginning eight gigs of RAM in a box, which means, you know, it, it's going to be a little bit intensive for anybody to use. And I'm more of a home person a residential person, not an enterprise person. So I don't care if something is quote unquote good for the enterprise uh, and not good for the home user. As far as I'm concerned, ZFS is pointless for a home user to even think about doing. Uh, but I know that's just me. Um, and and I will say um, anything that doesn't play nice with the GPL, another tangent. I used to have a boss at work. Her name was Pat. She was gold. My rule was anybody who doesn't like Pat I don't like because there's something wrong with you. If you don't like Pat, I feel the same way about the GPL. If you don't like the GPL, well, there's not something wrong with the GPL. To me, there's something wrong with you. <laughs> oh, well said. You know, I think the other part about it too, that I'm kind of curious about is how much the average user actually uses uh, snapshotting anyway, because uh, I know that even though there are a lot of options in Linux that are available to us to tell you the truth, as an average user, I barely scratch the surface on it. You know, um, that's kind of a uh, a terrible way of going about things. But uh, I think if, once you've been used, once you've lost your data, you do other things to make sure that you don't lose it again. And one of those things is that I just simply don't have data on my machine worth worth keeping. If it dies, it dies. I I don't play I don't play with a net anymore. So it's not such a big deal to me. I agree. I'm a thrill seeker. I like to live dangerously. I don't test and test. I test in production, blah, 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 blah. And the real truth is hard drives and hard drive space has became so cheap. Bandwidth in your place, wherever you're at, is also so cheap. There's no reason why you literally just can't mirror environments. Literally, if I'm down here working on my desktop, there's no reason why I can't mirror my hard drive upstairs downstairs at a friend's or somebody else's house because it is all of it is just so uncommonly cheap and it's to be and to be honest it's just as easy to manage that as it would be to say to myself self maybe i should take a zfs snapshot right now and you know either way you're playing admin and the real truth is 99.9999999% of people who use computers don't want to be an admin. They just want to consume content or write emails. So on that note, I'll actually segue on to the next one, which is from Mark. Uh, this was just one Windows program keeping him from totally moving. I have a Windows 7 machine and would love to totally switch to Mint until I learn more all the way. But I have one Windows program that I work in every day, and that doesn't want to convert to Wine. It seems to hang on the .NET install. Ah, yes. 
The program, Olive Tree Bible, has an older version, EXE, that I have, and the current version that it is in, uh, the current Windows Store. Of course, they've made many improvements to the current version, but I'm using the older version in Win 7 machine, and that's fine with me. I'm new to Linux, and I'm wondering if you would think there's any hope in getting that over from the dark side. I have reached out to Olive Tree, but they just come back with the old, we only support Windows and Mac verbiage. Can you make any suggestions or point me in the right direction? I don't want to give up on this. Well, I'll say, um, like one option, and I'll, I think I'm going to hearken what you kind of say a lot here, Bruce. Uh, what I'll say is there's two things you can run. One of them is literally just run Windows 7 in a VM. The other, I'll say, snippet of code application you can run, which probably will take a little bit of tweaking, it's literally called Seamless RDP. And I believe with Seamless RDP, you can literally have an icon on your Linux desktop, okay, a custom created icon, of course, that when you double-click that icon, it will launch the application in the Windows VM, yet present it to you in the Linux world like it's its own native application, but it will have all the Windows Chrome and Bling on it and literally be just like a windowed um, um, virtual application. You know, I think one of the best parts about this is that um, it is not uncommon for people to uh, uh, keep an older version of an OS on the uh, on a VM. The only caveat here is that uh, if you can, probably the best thing you could do, and it depends on, uh, I don't know the program, so I'd have to look into it a little further, but if it doesn't really need to reach out to the internet, uh, you're probably best shutting that off because then you know you have a safe environment around that one program that will probably run as long as your computer runs, and uh, that actually could be a win-win for you in the short term, so uh, definitely something worth considering. Yeah, and I'll say um, there is no like shame in having a computer around running a single application that you need kind of thing. And I'll say to me, the real truth is as long as you're not actively opening emails, email is the number one vector of infection on Windows computer. And as long as you're not browsing the Internet on that computer, on that Windows 7 computer, there is literally no harm whatsoever to have it on your network is my belief, um, even in a VM or on your network. As long as you're not doing those two tasks, the likelihood of getting having something bad happen is, is uncommonly small. So even if you just have it in your corner of your like house, running whatever program you need, um, I'd say don't stress, don't worry about it. And my logic is keep using Linux when you can, use Windows when you have to, and just keep looking for opportunities for... Um, um, other applications to uh, overtake that in your workflow because that's the whole thing. Switching from operating system to operating system, it's all about workflows and you know, can you accept this change in workflow to go over? It's not always something you know quick and easy. I'll say no, and <clears throat> excuse me, but um, and also, like I said, it's not uncommon to see a lot of that happen. Uh, in fact, a lot of us remember the Windows XP to seven migration. In fact, I know we don't talk too much about enterprise, but I do know that there was an application that the vendor had long since disappeared, um, and the place I'm working with still needed to have that work. So the solution was we'll create a, a VM, we'll put that application in there, and we'll lock it off from the Internet. And uh, it, they managed to keep it going for a year until they found a proper vendor to switch over the program they needed. So, that you know, it, it it will serve a purpose. <clears throat> yeah, and and um, before we go to the last email, I'll say, yeah, my and like here's my example. At work, we have a vendor who's literally using Microsoft SQL Server 2005, and they said it would take months for them to upgrade their servers, which I don't understand how it can take months, but I digress. So instead of just you know, being happy with it, what we're doing is we're taking the computer that needs an older version of stuff on it to communicate with that server. We're literally putting in its own VLAN and we're putting software firewall rules in place and VLAN firewall rules in place that are literally only allowing these like two or three explicit ports to come in and out. That's what you do when you have to run something in a secure environment, not your home environment, secure environment 
where you know you have to run something that's completely out of date and insecure. You literally put it on its own island to where if something bad happens to it, it's not going to affect the rest of your network. I want to go on a minor tangent before we move on to the next letter too. Um, I don't know if you saw the article, but apparently the Free Software Foundation is uh, urging Microsoft to make Windows 7 open source. How about that? I want to say I saw a headline. I didn't click through and read it because I hate to say it. It's literally like somebody from the FSF is like hiding behind this curtain or something. Um, or they're like on the other side of your camera and they're literally listening to our kind of conversation. Um, I do think it's good for them to say that kind of thing. But at the same token, I'm pretty sure they can scream it as loud as they want. No one in Microsoft will ever hear any word coming out of their mouth. Um, they listen to their customers more than I think uh, any organizations that don't give them money. Well, the best part about it is that, again, when you're trying to uh, ask somebody something, it's always nice to remember your manners in this. I mean, if you're if you really want something to happen and you're genuinely asking them, the best part I loved about the article was that it still gave them an opportunity to, you know, ask for it in one hand and slap them in the face with the other by saying, yes, that way you can, you know, reverse the last 10 years of poisoning the minds of our users. It's like, well, that's just not going to wash very far, is it? Yeah. And I say, I can see them opening the core and almost like the um, uh, freemium kind of model the open core like model that that some software does where the kernel will be completely open but every layer on top of that will be completely closed proprietary drm filled kind of thing and the company themselves microsoft will still be just fine making boatloads of money um but it'll be on a more trusted kernel than i think than ever well before. and the one last note regarding that article was the big win for them and all of this was the fact that the uh, calculator that can be found in windows uh can be found on github and it's like well let's put it this way if we've got linux developers who can't create a calculator we're really in trouble absolutely absolutely um and uh, i'll take this email because it's really small and easy um and i'll say I tried to reply to this email and I got a bounce back. So I'm sorry, Brian, uh, either one of us or w did something wrong, but it just says, um, uh, um, saying he he hello. Hi guys. I'm, uh, I'm sending this simply to let you know that I listen regularly to your podcast and fully appreciate the time and effort put into these shows. Thank you, Brian from Scotland, Edinburgh, Edinburgh, Scotland which I love saying Scotland. Yes. And actually there, there was uh, two letters by one other person that you had sent along as well from Daniel. I don't know if you remember, if you remember sending those along. Uh, basically Daniel's a, uh, a blind user and he's trying Fedora 31. Uh, and since he uses Orca, he doesn't need a monitor, but when the monitor is off, the computer does not want to work. Is there a way to tell Fedora not to bother with a monitor? Well, I think that's a question I could look into and we could answer next week. Unless, of course, you have the answer, Dor. No, I don't have the answer, and I'm not going to lie. Well, yeah, I'm not gonna lie. I can't find the damn email. <laughs> okay. Uh, let's see. That was the last one you sent to me at 9.12. Tonight? Yep. Well, damn. Then it makes it even worse that I can't find it because I'm the one that sent it All to right. you. Um, oh, no, hold on. Let me. Huh? This one actually was sent directly to me. Oh, well, how about that? Oh, okay. Well, good. <laughs> I So I'm still incompetent. I'm just not that well, incompetent. You're, you're, in, you're in with uh, like minds here. <laughs> All right. Well, tell you what. we Since that came to us in a bizarre way, we'll answer that next week. <laughs> very cool. Very cool. Um, One of the like um lead things that really I want to talk about only because it's very self-serving uh, is um NextCloud. Um, and I don't know uh, who hasn't, I'll say, experienced NextCloud, played with NextCloud. But I know in my filter bubble existence, it seems like everyone has and, every, and everyone likes it kind of thing. But here's the thing. NextCloud has actually, in some way or form, have has been around now for over six years, I'm going to say, because it started its own cloud. Okay, that own cloud had a lot of momentum, a lot of people join on. And I believe what happened was he took investment some 
from some, um, you know, not angel investors, but some investors came along and he lost some semblance of control or power over the product. So what happened was he still owned the core of it. So he basically just stood up one day and like walked out of the office and said, I'm taking my ball and going home. And the very next day he started NextCloud up. Okay. Uh, since then, NextCloud has clearly left own cloud in the dust in in everything features um rate of updates uh stability uh popularity everything to where next cloud is now silly popular and they now they're literally like stepping up their game and they're rebranding themselves as next cloud hub and they say that they're now going to openly and actively compete with google apps the google suite of apps and office 365 which i gotta say is an incredibly bold statement for anybody to say um i don't know if they actually can compete with those kinds of things but uh i wish them luck as do i because i mean anytime you're offered another choice that isn't the big two uh run with it you know i don't think we've ever uh had uh, more choices than that i mean I don't know. A lot of folks, well, I guess the beauty of Linux is that you can homebrew your own. That's always another option, too. But, uh, again, I think uh, somebody offering another service, uh, uh, like anything else, I'm excited. This is why I get into Linux is because there are offerings to see things that normally you're not going to see in a regular ecosphere if you're stuck with one OS or the other. Yeah, and I'm going to say... Um... I'm pretty sure that you are not familiar with um, Mr. Robot, Bruce. Uh, but what I but what I'm going to say is uh, here's another reason why I like Nextcloud so much. Um, I'm going to show the live viewers my uh, login screen to Nextcloud, and Nextcloud is so customizable. Okay, and it's awesome, to be honest, so easy to add admin. It's like crazy. But I have my main login screen to Nextcloud with the Mr. Robot F Society mask and with a completely black background, which I, with without hesitation, I stole from a good friend, uh, Azok. Um, uh, I, I, he showed me his login page and I immediately said, I have to find out how he did that. And now that's my login page um, because that's how I feel about owning my own stuff like this with next cloud uh it's my data and i don't care what you the government uh, other three-letter agency or neighborhood it is not yours it's mine and i'm going to do what i want with it when i please no i love it in fact it's funny i didn't realize that uh i dropped off after the second season because uh usa i think it was showing it um was scheduling it in a weird way for us so uh i dropped off but i understand that this was the final season this year ah uh, the second season was so difficult to get through i have no problem saying that out loud it took a special person to go get through it but yes this was the last season and it ended maybe just as confusing as ever to where you're i mean closure really didn't happen the way anyone i think thought it would yeah well and i also like the fact that there's that split personality part of the whole show which added more questions to it as well so i thoroughly enjoyed it that and the fact that um what is it in the first season um when uh, he's going up against uh one of the bigwigs uh at the company the guy was saying ah gnome or kde those are always good questions to ask during a show Yes, but if if uh, somebody would ask me the, in the public, I would reply with I three to which I don't know. What, and if they knew what I was talking about, I'd feel better. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> uh, one topic I did want to bring up here, Bruce, was we've often on hinted around the edges around VPNs, and there was one link here in the notes uh, that I plucked is what I'll say, where it says uh, Proton VPN. Um, goes open source to build trust um, uh, in the, you know, environment kind of thing. Um, what I will say is um, when it comes to uh, open source, it's not the final answer. It's, it, it is almost like saying uh, something is all natural. Being all natural doesn't mean it's great. It's just one factor to be taken 
can you know because while i want to eat natural i surely don't want lead sprinkled on my salad uh being open source is definitely a plus and you know and having a vpn go completely open source is definitely a plus but what we need now is we need educated people aka smarter than me to do real third-party audits on the software itself and document where side channel attacks can happen where logging content can like take place to make proton even better is my belief can happen whether it's going to happen or not i don't know but i like when companies and products decide it's in their best interest to go open well it also might be stereotypical too but i'm probably even a little bit more trusting for the fact that it is coming from the swiss oh yeah i mean without okay certain things i want to come from my country you know like pizza like beef like cheeses because then they're held to our federal standards of cleanliness and blah, 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 blah. When it comes to people focusing around privacy, I want them outside of the U.S. I don't want them in the U.S. because if they are in the U.S., then they're going to be subject to the FISA courts in the U.S. where the government at any point in time can say, you have to give us access and you cannot say a word about this or else you will be sued out of existence kind of thing. Um, so when it comes to privacy-focused things, I want them to not be in the U.S., which I think some uh, uber patriotic people really don't understand. Yeah, what's interesting, too, is that um, there's also a telecom bill that also monitors just about everything coming in through the U.S. now because, what was it, in lieu of the bill, I believe back, jeez, uh, this is probably right after the uh, Patriot Act was enabled, sort of piggyback and followed along there. The United States became a major switch, which allowed them to monitor international phone calls. So, you know, like anything else, this I'm sure they have the ability to monitor international traffic. And you know they do. Yeah, and I don't want to speak ill of them because here's the whole belief. The truth. If I was in charge, if I had the power, like Hulk Hogan used to say, I got the power right there in my hand. If I had the power in my hand, I would be probably spying on everybody as well, because I want to make sure that there's nobody coming up behind me to kill me kind of thing. So I'm not going to speak ill that it's happening, but I will say not being that person, I'm going to do everything in my power to find ways to circumvent that kind of uh, behavior. Um, because there are certain things I want the government to know about me, you know what I mean? But there are also certain things that I want nobody to have readily available about me uh, at, at the same token, which is why I like having a Mattermost server, which is why I like having a NextCloud server, which is why, honestly, I'm almost tempted to put up a BBS just because it's closed and it's my own little island of data. So I'll tell you what, here's where, what I'm willing to do. I'm actually going to look into this a little bit further. And, you know, as we'd mentioned before, I'm looking for a VPN client anyway. Um, if this looks like something I can jump into with both my feet, I absolutely will and report back into you guys uh, just what I did. Because, you know, uh, like anything else, you want to be able to eat the dog food first before you move forward. Well, and dog fooding is such an important thing. And it's amazing to me the number of people that legitimately do not understand what that word even means um uh if you're not willing to do something yourself you should not be you should not feel comfortable telling somebody else to do it uh if you don't listen to podcasts and you don't listen to your own podcast why are you podcasting because you're not going to do anything better you're not going to grow over time or anything like that um same thing with these kinds of software things most of the things that i bring to most of the shows that i do are things that i genuinely have tried to experience myself um at least somewhat it is to some degree or else i just clearly say all i'm doing here is just speculating so the question here and actually i'm going to throw this out here because i'm actually interested in your your opinion about this so in use cases on vpn it's not my reasoning for using it is not to hide anything as much as I want to be able to feel safe when, for example, I'm doing some banking, you know, uh, you know, something like that. I'm still very wary of. I mean, I can't tell you how many times uh, I've gone to a business 
and they have, you know, their little tablets hooked up to whatever that app is that takes your credit card. I got to tell you, when I see those things, I've always been tempted to put the card back in and just see if I had any cash to pay for it. Because, you know, again, I, I'm uh, I, I, you you put so much trust that the business is doing right. And the business is probably doing the best that it can. But sometimes in this case, best really isn't good enough. Yeah. And I'll say when it comes to VPNs, it's a tool. Um, depending on how you decide to utilize that tool depends on, you know, which one is really the best one for you. Some people want to be able to be anywhere in the world on any open Wi-Fi, but yet have a secure connection back to their home. That's one perfectly good use case for a VPN. Some people want to be able to log in from their, uh, like bedroom, but to appear to be coming from Germany so they can watch some sporting event, or they want to be able to come out in the UK to watch BBC. Um, the other like thing about VPNs is some of them can give you some a bit of anonymity, 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 privacy, but put put a haze over your identity to some degree, which means it's almost like Tor in the sense of where your exit node is is masking where you actually are at. So you can do things that maybe you shouldn't be able to do. Like for instance, maybe the local sports team has a blackout. Yes, but they're playing the team from San Francisco. So let me go pretend like I'm in San Francisco so I can watch my own sporting event kind of thing. There's a tons of use cases for VPNs. Um, and the amount of privacy you need on each use case is completely different. So it's a really difficult thing to say, this is the best VPN for anything without, you know, being asked like 20, like um, 20, um, 20 questions back. And for our NHL fans out there, if you decide to go to NHL.com while you're on these VPNs, um, depending on where it sees you on a particular day, uh, for example, my friend did it. He was, it looked like he was coming in from Russia. He had almost a 50% discount. So something worth pursuing. Well, that's very good to know. Yes. Um, and yeah, I, and it's like, you know, almost like email, like w what do you want to use it for is going to be the, the biggest, like uh biggest uh, uh, thing coming into the actual decision of what to use. Huh? Um, and then I was going to ask you, since you asked me a bit, did, did I hear about the FSF news thing? Did you hear about the canonical stuff this week? That I didn't. Well, because I'll tell you right now, it confuses the hell out of me. If you go to anbox-cloud.io, anbox-cloud.io, basically, um, Canonical launched a new website slash service. Okay, and what it, and this is what it literally says on the website. Okay, Anbox Cloud is a mobile cloud computing platform that leverages Android as an engine for virtualizing mobile workloads. Anbox Cloud is highly scalable and offloads compute, storage, and energy in energy intensive applications from the devices to any cloud. Canonical will help build your custom platform and deploy your application to accelerate your time to market. Anbox Cloud comes with long-term commercial support offering. I read that marketing stuff and I'm literally thinking to myself, what in the hell is this even for? Well, you're, I know that you use your phone quite a bit, but do you do any work on it? Well, I'll say this. It depends on how you define it, but there are, there are certain work type tasks I can do. And I do do, um, I'll say on the phone screen size, there's only certain things you can do comfortably. The bigger the screen, the easier it is to do. And then when you introduce a full size keyboard, it's even easier to do things like that. Um, like I'll say right now, the keyboard I'm literally using, um, uh, for the show is my Zag limitless, uh, keyboard here. Um, it can connect to three different Bluetooth devices at the same time. And it literally has a little tray at the top for me to put my phone. So I can literally have it here and switch back and forth from my main rig that I'm on to my phone in a key. And I can literally type out emails and stuff like that, which I've done in the past. 
It's not my preferred way of doing things, but I have. Wow, I feel like such a rube. I've just got a regular, I've got one of those old-fashioned uh, Microsoft, uh, what do they call those, ergonomic keyboards? And I think, um, I'm, uh, what do you call it, the bee's knees. How about that? <laughs> well, I'm, I, for a while there, I was literally a keyboard junkie. The other one I have is a Logitech keyboard where it has um it has like a knob here where you can easily uh just spin the knob and change from device to device. Again, three different devices. Again, you have the tray at the top where you can do it. The problem with this one is it is huge, thick, and it takes AA batteries where the Zag is super thin and it uses micro USB internal like um internal um charging. And it has a backlit keyboard, and the keyboard lasts for easy, like, 12 hours. How much did you pay for that? Uh, the Zag Limitless, I want to say, was less than 40 bucks on sale. I want to say it was, like, 30 dollars on sale. Normal price, I want to say, was roughly 50 bucks. but it's the kind of thing, if you're not in a rush, uh, you should be able to get it for, I want to say, 32 33 bucks. Wow, that's actually pretty good. I could see some other uses for things like that. Um especially given between the rigs that I have at home and the ones that I have at work, because I've actually got three workstations uh, set up at work. And every once in a while, you know, people just borrow things. So anyway, yeah, that would be, that would hugely be useful. Well, I, and I'll say this, the, now the truth is any Bluetooth device that does not come with a dedicated dongle in it, Okay, where you literally just use your normal Bluetooth antenna and you sync up typically has no security on top of it. So if someone is literally sniffing your Bluetooth kind of signal and you type sensitive information or passwords, technically speaking, it's possible for them to be picked up and to be sniffed. Where if you have a Bluetooth keyboard, you open up the back and has a, a little dongle and you put it in a computer, those are most of the time encrypted. Uh, neither of these come with a dongle. So these both are technically less secure is what i'm going to say at the same time i personally feel like if there's somebody right outside my uh back door right here bluetooth sniffing my stuff for my passwords well congratulations you won yeah all right well i'm sorry i didn't mean to go off on that tangent so going back uh, some other possible uses for this because i'm I'm trying i'm not an android or i'm just not a phone user let's put it that way so it's very rare that i would ever be able to take advantage of this uh, prospect of using uh, Anbox Cloud to, you know, do my work on my phone. I mean, uh, some other, I I mean, I can see possibly running monitor, something like Logic Monitor, where, you know, you would get a feed to your phone, but I, I don't think that would need Anbox for that. Well, that's the whole thing. I have a really difficult time just figuring out what in the hell Canonical is offering, because it almost seems like what they're enabling is, and if I read it, maybe right, they're offering the streaming of the Android operating system. So quite literally, you could be on any device, a smart device or a dumb device, whatever, and you could literally stream like almost like um, uh, virtualize, you know, like the old uh, um, uh, wise terminals kind of thing, where it's almost like it looks like the OS is local, but it's actually coming from a canonical server. I mean, I mean, that's what I'm thinking I'm reading when I'm looking at that. But it is so confusing, and they did not make it clear whatsoever what any intent was with this thing. It's just filled with marketing buzzwords that every time I read, it just hurts, hurts my head. <laughs> well, again, what I like about this, again, it may not be uh, serving a purpose that maybe we we get right away, but... This goes back to a discussion we had a couple of weeks back in Canonical taking another chance and offering something different. So, you know what? We'll give them, I'm giving them a pass on this and whatever they're trying to do, maybe I can actually contact somebody over there to get a real explanation and see what the end game is for such a thing. Because, you know, technology for the sake of technology doesn't make it okay, but we'll see what happens. Yeah, I mean, it's one of those things, time time will tell. And I'm sure, here's the thing, if people don't call you stupid, if people don't say you're going to fail, well, then you're not trying things dangerous enough. You're staying way too safe. Um, most people are not successful because they stay extremely safe. You know what I mean? Um, 
most people who are the most successful are the people who went out and tried things where people said, what are you doing? Are you dumb? This ain't going to work. This is going to fail. But they went and tried it anyway. Um, maybe that's what this is. I, I, I you know, I, I'm not going to say it is. I'm not going to say it isn't. I'm just going to say um, interesting. Yep. Check. Speaking of interesting, I saw also on one of your other articles that you put in there was about uh, Shotcut, uh, the open source video editor for uh, all three OSs. And uh, I'm intrigued by this one because, again, you know, anything that can make uh, video editing at home a little easier to do, I'm all about. I had had so much hope for OpenShot when uh, it turned into that um, Kickstarter program uh, project, but, you know, then quickly realized that that would be the benchmark of all Kickstarter projects going forward where, you know, there'd be lots of promises the developer would drop out for a couple of years, come back, make up some excuse that inevitably meant eh, they were sick, somebody died, something tragic happened, you know, and now it's all, all starting all over again. So uh, I'm hoping that this at least gives us a little chance at succeeding somewhere in video editing. Well, something's going to have to be successful sooner or later is the logic. I just don't know when it's going to be because we've seen it happen with audio players we've seen it happen with text editors where now LibreOffice is like frigging fantastic and it works marvelously we've seen it with podcasting downloading applications we've seen it with all kinds of things but with high i say this higher end video editors and i don't want to say high-end video editors because on the low end we have i think really good solutions for video editing but once you go to that mid-tier once you get up to the upper tiers of video editing we have a mixed bag of editors and none of them seem to do uh, stuff perfectly. Um, this one, I will say it has a really good looking interface. Um, if it's stable, that's going to be like 70% of the way to being good is just being stable. Uh, and if it can get any kind of like momentum, if they can get momentum with this video editor, I really hope we're going to finally be able to say, if you need to do video editing on Linux, bang, Here's what you need to run instead of saying, well, you could run this. You could run that. You could run this. You could run that. Oh, and go watch tutorials for like 12 hours so you can learn the basic interface uh, kind of thing. Um, it needs to be a little bit simpler to the layman, but it also needs to be rock solid. Stable. Oh, I agree. And, you know, we're looking at this thing now from my vantage point of when I used to do uh, videos for local uh, cable access um in Somerville, one of the one of the uh, problems that we always ran into is that not only was the software at the time proprietary, but also the connections. Because at the time, in order to feed video to your hard drive, uh, you had to have like a 1394 wire. And I got to tell you, one of the things I absolutely hated was the Sony camera that I had at the time. Uh, it shot nice, clear video. But the ports on those things were so wonky. After the sixth video shoot, that port broke. And I got to tell you, I was stuck with all this footage with nowhere to transfer. And the best part about it is on mini DV at the time. And what's worse, trying to find a mini DV player today is like six, seven hundred bucks used. So anyway, bottom line is that that was my big barrier and proprietary software. Um, Caden Live and other uh, open source software is a little more forgiving. And if you actually have the digital files with you, um, that makes life so much easier. Um, I don't think we're handcuffed anymore to just that, that one wire. In fact, I'm sure the, the standard has since changed. Most things have already moved to USB 3 or some form, form of, uh, uh, yeah, USB C. So, anyway, uh, that was a long winded screed. Uh, I'll say, yeah, um, USB-C has came an uh, incredible long way. Thunderbolt, USB-3, whatever. They've all came out that long way. So long, in fact, Show Me, which isn't spelled anything like it sounds to us Americans, uh, is like one of the biggest um, phone companies in China, okay? But they're not just phones. Literally, they released today on eBay, you can go buy one, a, um electric razor. You know what I mean? It's literally 18 bucks, but it charges via USB-C. And that's, I want everything in the world to use USB-C and then I'll be happy. Then I'll be happier as well. I'll say happier. Um, I've used KDN Live a bunch of times. 
and I'm not going to take anything away from KDN Live except to say it's the audacity of video editors. And what I mean by that is you better save early and you better save often because once in a while, it will just completely take a dump and like the application will just crash and so gently that it just disappears from your screen. Yeah, that that's no joke. In fact, uh, anybody in the earlier days of Audacity, and we're going back, yeah, roughly 10 years ago. Oh, holy cow. There was once your project got into the 20, 30 minute range, there you were walking a tightrope, and it was kind of a race against time. And God forbid, should you actually have had to actually merge two two tracks never mind just the dealing of the one. Oh, i got to tell you there are so many times i've almost wanted to type with my fists just based on the projects i've lost yeah and, and like that's one reason why now we're recording in three different places every podcast because if one of them fails i want to back up the last thing i ever want to say to bruce is hey bruce that was a really good show we did how about we do it again because i lost the audio um with KDN Live, I've learned, and with Audacity, when I learned, as soon as I open something up, as soon as I make any change, save. And then every, like, three minutes, save. And then three minutes, save. And then three minutes, save. Or else you're going to be a half an hour into something, it's going to crash, and you're literally just going to want to go upstairs, open a jar of peanut butter, get the biggest spoon you have, and just sit there and just move. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Oh, I got to tell you, you know, there is nothing worse than losing those kind of projects, too, because I can't tell you how many how much time has been lost to things like that. And it's interesting because we used to have a, a, a friend of the show, the the Penguin producer, you know, who could feel with us. Uh, I'm, I'm hoping he's not doing time, but um, it'd be nice to sort of reach out to see what he's doing for projects these days. Uh, yeah, I don't think he's doing time. I want to say last I heard he was in Southwest Arizona-esque uh, doing contract work down there. Uh, wasn't extremely happy with the contract work, but he was getting paid, so he was happy enough. Um, and then the impression I got was he was definitely busy mm. with life kind of thing, which is good. Busy is good, in my opinion. Yeah, well, at this point in my life, there's one thing that I'm actually happy is that uh, the busyness is falling off over time. So, you know, maybe I get to actually dive in a little deeper to understand the things I'm actually talking about. Gotcha, gotcha. Now, one other link I definitely wanted to bring, and honestly, if someone hasn't figured it out by now, 90% of the links I bring to the show, I bring to the show so later I can simply go to podnuts.com, type Lennox F-O, and then space, and then what I'm looking for so I can find this thing again because I'm going to need it sooner or later. And this one is for work, Bruce. This is for work, not for home, a.k.a. this is for Windows world, not the Linux world. Uh, but uh, on Windows, I've used in the past an application called BearGrep, B-A-R-E-G-R-E-P. No, there's not going to be a link in the notes because it's a janky application. It works, but it's janky. This one is called DNGrep. And over at GHacks, uh, DNGrep is an open source tool that can search for text inside documents. Okay, long and the short of it. Everything in computers is characters, whether it's binary characters, whether it's binary blobs or encrypted, they're all characters stored on a, on a hard disk. Ones and zeros, crap like that, okay? Because of that, it's possible to look inside of basically any file, okay? Uh, here's the for instance I'm going to use. We are introduced to a new application and we're told the person who developed this is dead. Can you figure out how it connects to the database? And then you say to yourself, okay, well, what's the database name? What's the server name? What's the IP address? Do we know what the username is? And then you take those things, you go to that server with this application, you point it at the hard drive and you search for those pieces of text inside of every file on the computer. And you will start to begin to put the pieces together of how everything links together. Searching for file names is something you can do in any operating system natively, but looking inside of files seems to be a particular task is what I want to say. So this is the kind of application I always have in my Windows tool belt kind of thing to help try to make my job at least a little bit easier. Yeah, especially now these days where um, 
I think uh, when you look at all the possibilities of where your data could be at uh, at a job site, you know, uh, not to dive too far into it, but I mean, you know, we've got everything. Can you imagine just trying to find a file in SharePoint? You know, that's it. Huh, yeah, I so do. There you go. I do. <laughs> You know, we have uh, we have knowledge bases, you know, things like that. I got to tell you, one of the biggest applications in the country, uh, enterprise levels, is something called ServiceNow. It's a ticketing uh, um, application, and it comes with everything. It's one of those applications that claims it can do everything. Well, yeah, I guess, but the fact of the matter is, is that uh, a KB is only as good as the people maintaining it. If nobody's maintaining it, then guess what you have? A gigantic garbage can. And trying to find anything for that, I don't know how the search algorithms work on that, but if you're looking for directions to install VPN, it's amazing how many articles come back that are completely unrelated. So anyway, anything that can give you an edge searching, that would be the uh, that would be in your tool belt. That should be uh, that should be more than sufficient. Yeah, and I will say, um, years ago, people started to at least admit that when you go to a job interview, you should be able to say, "Well, no, I don't know off the top of my head how to do that, but I would know how to find out how to do it by googling it, kind of thing, by doing searching for it." Well, the same exact tactic mindset can be done on the local network level as well, or a local computer kind of thing as well. Um, it's all about troubleshooting skills and like, you know, uh, how fast can you find a, a solution that's accurate? You know what I mean? Because there's a million people out there telling you how to fix, you know, everything, but you should be able to at least look at it and like, look at it with a skeptical eye and say, is that right? Is that wrong? And then no, like to not paste into a Linux terminal uh, RM-RF, you know what I mean, kind of thing. You know, and granted, if you're like 16 years old and you're new to Linux, you might not know that. But if you have been in the job market for even a couple of years, you should know you don't just blindly believe the first thing you find on the Internet. Oh, and I can't tell you how many times I've gone to countless, countless uh, boards uh, only to see that, you know, the solution was never actually applied. You know, for example, uh, it's common to go to, uh, I've went to uh, Linux Mint. I'm not going to single them out. It happens all boards. Uh, I was looking for an issue in regards to Audacity back back in the Stone Age. And I saw somebody had solved the particular problem that I, I, I was having. So naturally, I was excited. I went in there, looked it up. The guy switched OSs. And that was the end of his solution. It's like, eh, is that really a solution? Because it doesn't work for me. Well, that's like saying, well, I want to lose weight, so I chopped my leg off. Technically, I, I, I like won. Well, I lost weight. <laughs> All right. So what else do we have up next up? Uh, well, honestly, one link I had, I felt like I had to bring is what I'm going to say. Because uh, like the very ending of this show, I always say, if you do not have root, you don't know who does. A lot of the Linux ecosystem is about ownership of data uh, and like being like the admin of the group to, um, you know, keep control of everything and not just allow companies or anybody else to just do whatever they want to do. Okay. Um, the Pine Company is a mini computing company. Again, mini PC show. Talk about them quite frequently. I got one of their newest laptops uh, thanks to uh, Captain Zero. Uh, supporter products. Um, well, the Pine Phone Developer Edition just started coming out, and on their website, they basically said we have to set the record straight about Pine Phone misconceptions. Okay, long breath. The truth of it is, is most devices that have backdoors in them, either purposeful or accidental, uh, when things are exploitable. And the people didn't even know they were exploitable. It's because of binary blobs. Binary blobs are black boxes, files, DLLs, EXEs kind of thing, where you don't exactly know what's going on inside them. You just know stuff comes in, stuff comes out, and stuff happens. The biggest example of that is on mobile devices, almost every single one out there made for the last seven, eight years has had binary blobs in the GPU the graphic processing unit. And the best example of this is the Raspberry Pi. 
it has a basic GPU on it that's completely binary blobbed out to where no one knows what's going on on it. Every phone, the GPU has binary blobs. We have no idea what's going on with it. Even phones that classify themselves as secure have binary blobs on their GPUs that we have no idea what's going on. So they're not secure. They're lying right through their teeth, but it's marketing. That's what marketers do. Okay. The Pine phone is not filled with binary blobs. And that's one of the things they wanted to make very clear because people have been saying since this phone was announced that it's not going to be secure. Well, I got good news for you, people. This guy literally goes through step-by-step and tells you exactly the chain of everything going on on the phone, what has to be closed and how they're basically isolating all that closed stuff, all those binary blobs off on their own. For instance, LTE antennas basically run their own operating system. Well, they're cordoned off. Okay. They don't have, they have no access to the RAM. They have no access to the storage. They have no access to nothing. They just do their own thing. Um, and basically everything in the pine phone on the board from the system on the chip is in the mainline kernel. Okay. It's not black box. It isn't binary blobs, which means technically speaking, this phone has the potential to be with the least amount of work, the most secure mobile computing device we've had available to us in the private market, the enterprise market, the government market, whatever, for at least eight years. Uh, you know, I'm actually just going through all of this stuff now uh, and the section of, so where are the blobs? And it's a, it's amazing. I, I don't think I've ever seen such disclosure before. Um, it's, it's clear. There's nothing... Um, uh, nothing is being hidden here. Ah, I like it. I like it a lot. Yeah. And I'll say this, um, you know, I, for example, I'm a horrible businessman, horrible because I'm not going to go out of my way to be a salesman, AKA lie to people, manipulate them to get money out of them kind of thing, just because it serves me for what I believe is the greater good. I won't do it. I can't do it. So if I were to run my own business, I would be like scraping by. I would literally have to like swerve into a deer on the way home and hit it just so I could have dinner for the, for the actual night. Um, it's painfully obvious. The people who are behind pine are unbelievably community focused and unbelievably privacy focused and unbelievably free Libra focused kind of thing. They're not business focused. Okay. The phone's 150 bucks. If they were business focused, it would be a $2,000 device kind of like you know the purism phone kind of thing um which is why i like this company they 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 have no problem opening up their trench coat and showing you all of their warts and all of their beauty marks all at the same time and let you the end user decide if this is something you want yeah and the best part about it is the closing statement i do not think that this misconception arose online as a result of someone's ill intention or conspiracy I really don't. I do, however, feel that if I were to leave this unanswered for much longer, these misconceptions would be further propagated. And we both know that once FUD gets out the door and it takes hold, you are now fighting a losing battle. So good for these folks. Yeah, and I will say FUD is a real thing um, for the uninitiated uh, person. FUD stands for fear, uncertainty, and doubt. It's basically what mass media uses to propagate stories. Um, you know, uh, the most dangerous thing you could eat, it could be in your uh, freezer. More on that tonight at 11. That's fear, uncertainty, doubt, all wrapped into one kind of thing. And, and that's what a lot of institutions use to push messaging. And where these guys are basically coming out and trying to squash any fear, all uncertainty, and relinquish all doubt kind of thing, which, again, um, if tomorrow I was a millionaire, a couple of days later, I wouldn't be a millionaire anymore. I'm pretty sure a chunk of change would go to the pine people just to keep on doing what they're doing. Absolutely. All right. Well, uh, do you want to round things out about now? Uh, was there any other links that you saw that caught your eye or any other news stories uh, from this past week that um, you care to comment on? Well, you know, I didn't want to dive too, too much more into the Windows 7 thing from uh, the Free Software Foundation. But I have to tell you, my knee-jerk reaction to it initially was, what are they doing? But, you know, if they're going to, I, I guess they're coming, they're trying to become a little bit more like the ACLU. You got to defend everything, you know? And if you want to go down that road, good luck to you. Wow, wow, and wow. Yes, 
Um, and, and, you know, I used to say it like this. I'm happy RMS was around because it would show people what the extremes look like. Um, I, and we still do need people to scream at companies, whether they're screaming at IBM, they're screaming at HP, they're screaming at Oracle, they're screaming at Cisco, they're screaming at Microsoft, they're screaming at Apple, they're screaming at the U.S. government, whoever. It's good to have those kinds of people around. Um, I don't think that really their impact is with the company themselves, but instead about drawing the attention of the third parties to say, Hey, look at me yelling at this other person. Maybe you should too. Um, maybe that's their real goal and intent. And if it is, you know, so be it. I wish them nothing but luck. Um, I don't think Microsoft is going to do anything unless it directly benefits the shareholder, which is their only real obligation. So if someone can convince them opening the core of their operating system up will benefit the shareholders, then you betcha they're going to do it lightning fast and they're going to gloat about it. Kind of like a kid taking off his clothes and dancing around his house because he just got home from school from the first grade and he doesn't want to go back kind of thing. The same kind of attitude prevails in shareholder meetings. Oh, absolutely. Which ultimately one of the things I'm going to segue that into uh, the Linux foundation and continue to ask the questions of, what is it exactly you do here? Um, because, again, a lot of these stories that we spoke about today uh, have some facet of where they could be involved. And I very rarely see them. In fact, it's amazing for a foundation that, you know, has such a prominent stake in this. They're very, very low key to almost non-existent in ways. I mean, I, it seems to me right now what they do is they, they get this gigantic money from companies, oddly enough, like Oracle. Um, and, uh, again, what did they do with this? I mean, you got developers that are probably getting paid, but isn't it now time to sort of corral things in? Because I think at this point of where we are with a lot of computing, it is time for them to truly step up. Yeah. I, the only thing I know that the Linux foundation spends their money on is, um, uh, Greg Crow Hartman and Linus. Um, I don't know anything else they spend their money on. It would be nice if they would like to spend that money on buying patents and stuff and releasing them, buying copyrighted code and releasing it kind of thing. Uh, it would be nice. And the thing is, maybe, oh, I'll say this, maybe their lack of action and their lack of uh, reaction is why they seem to get money from everybody, not just Oracle. They get money from the good guys and the bad guys and the people in the middle and from like from the communists, the freedom fighters, terrorists, everybody in the world seems to give them money and they just happily take it. And it's like, maybe they're saving up to like buy that like Island nation. I don't know. I do know that their conferences are pretty elaborate and I can't afford to go to any of them unless of course the company wants to pay for them. But again, you know, there's, there's still some more, it's become a, it's come to a point where, you start asking more questions than they have answers for. And uh, you really got to wonder, what is their direction? I mean, we do know that they have a president, but the president himself has admitted that he's no more the boss of uh, Linus than he is the boss of his own wife. So, I mean, how does that work? I don't know, and I don't even know who to ask, and I don't know if anybody would actually have a good answer to that question, Bruce. That's a really difficult question to answer. Um, the only thing I know is they swear that they have no direct control over the future of Linux. Like they don't tell people what to code for. They just accept patches or not. Hmm. Well, uh, all right. Well, I'm, I'm going to leave that right there. We can let our listeners decide what they think of the foundation in general. Maybe they have some insight that we don't. Oh, I'm sure there's lots of people who have more insight than we have. Um, we're just two people. Um, and because, I mean, literally, we read emails from more people than just, you know, two people in this episode alone. And do not forget, if you want to send us an email, it's very easy. Podcast at LinuxForTheRestOfUs.com. Or you can just go to PodNuts.com, click on the contact link. Or you can hit us back on any of the uh, networks we're any of our names appear or the pod nuts name appears uh, and we will get back with you. You could also send us a voicemail at seven Oh seven six pod nut. Um, you have any uh, parting words or any sporting events that you're looking 
forward to here, please? Well, it'll be interesting to maybe catch a few minutes of the Super Bowl because uh, we have uh, two teams that, uh, quite frankly, I didn't expect them to get there. So uh, we'll dive into conspiracy theories uh, in regards to Jimmy Garoppolo next week. Gotcha, gotcha. And I'll say, yeah, maybe Kansas City will finally replace Len Dawson even though it's been 50 years and they've been trying to do it now for 50 years. Uh, I, I'm going to go over my sister-in-law's house because I'm pretty sure my mother-in-law, my wife want me to be the designated driver while they go watch the game. I'll <laughs> offhandedly watch the game a little bit, but the thing is eh, nothing about it really interests me is what I'll say. Two teams I really could, I don't want to say care less about because that would mean I could care about them. I really don't care about them. Um, I'm just going to be there for, you know, the dip in some maybe pepperonis or something. Well, I approve of that message. (laughs) There you go. Very cool. And again, if you want completely ad-free versions of this show, if you want to like, because, you know, everyone just sat through a whole bunch of ads because they didn't participate in the uh, ad-free version of the show. But if you want the ad-free version of the show, that means you have to go to patreon.com slash podnuts and become a supporter. Uh, I want to thank everyone for their support. Thank everyone for their emails. I've had some really cool emails this week, is what I'm going to say. I'm actually happy to open my emails again. So thank you very much, everyone. I want to thank Bruce for his support. Uh, I want to thank everybody for contacting us in any shape, way, or form. And do not forget under any circumstances, no matter what kind of computing device you have, whether it's a mini microcomputer that you literally load up your little operating system on, or whether it's a gigantic computer you have out at your work, if you do not have root on that thing, you do not know who does. And we'll talk to everyone again in about a week. <laughs>